When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome everyone to the Joan Hamburg Show. We do this show every Sunday starting at 2 o'clock. And we love that you're part of it. And every Sunday I say, this is the best Sunday show we've had. It isn't true. Every Sunday show is the best Sunday show. And this week, I'm going to introduce you to one of my favorite foodies, Lydia Bastianich. And you know Lydia from her TV show, from her restaurants, from her books. She's phenomenal. And think about Lydia and her family coming to this country as refugees, immigrants. They didn't know anyone. They came here and they started a life. She was just a little child, she and her brother. And they ended up owning restaurants and creating the American dream. And she's one of the original give back people. So think about Lydia, she's coming on. And then the one and only Michael Feinstein. You may have read his memoir, The Gershwins and Me, a personal history. He's quite fabulous. And his story as a young boy when all his friends were going off to college and his parents never even questioned him because they knew music was his heart, his soul, and his happiness. And Michael has incredible stories to tell about all the greats like Sondheim, like Rosemary Clooney, like people who have touched our hearts in the world of music. So a great show. Join me Sunday starting at 2. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. I told you recently about the exhibit that's opened at Barney's. It's an exhibit called 200 Trunks, 200 Visionaries, the Exhibition. And this is one of the initiatives celebrating the 200th anniversary of Louis Vuitton's birth. And the show has gone from Louis Vuitton Maison in France to Singapore and L.A. before it reached its final destination, New York City. And what they did is they invited a mosaic of talents and friends spanning art and culture, science, sports, global causes, and more to personalize a metaphorically blank canvas measuring approximately the same dimensions of the original trunk that Louis conceived in the 1850s. So it's quite fabulous, and we enjoyed it. And then... We went upstairs for lunch to the restaurant. Yes, Fred's, 
has reopened. It's called Fred's Louis, and underneath it says Vuitton, and they're serving from 11 to 4 p.m. It was so much fun, so lively. They started for the lunch menu, uh, their famous legendary fries for the table, or Estelle's chicken soup, it was his grandma's recipe, or his mom's, and roasted asparagus, and then one of the famous Fred salad, a chopped salad, a chopped chicken salad, a Palm Beach shrimp, either a turkey club or a spaghetti or a lasagna, really delicious, overpriced, of course, but really good. And I will tell you that the portions were so good that we each ordered one, but we shouldn't have because there was too much left. We should have shared. That's how big the portions were. And then towards the end of the day, they added to the menu, um, if you're having a light supper, a uh, tater tot and caviar, a pastrami pie, $15, a lobster arancini, grilled cheese and tomato with chutney. Very, very nice. And we enjoyed it. And I never saw better looking young people. I definitely thought I have to upgrade my outfit there. But we loved eating lunch and seeing everyone around. And then when dessert comes, they give you complimentary a uh, little plate of warm madeleines honey and sea salt. Speaking of delicious, we absolutely enjoyed it. So think, a good thing to do, come into the city. It's very near one of our popular destinations, St. Patrick's Church. Go look at the 200 trunks, the Louis Vuitton exhibit, which was quite wonderful, and then treat yourself to a special lunch or an early dinner, enjoyed every single minute of it. And they also have um, aperitifs and small plates where you can share, or if you're really hungry, because the portions are big, take that. A nice thing to do in New York, a perfect location. The tree is in place. Of course, it isn't decorated yet. It wasn't open. But Everything that I told you about is good through the end of the month, through the end of December, that month. So you can combine it all once you find out the tree will be open right after Thanksgiving or right around that time. So you'll be able to combine it all and have a very special day. Don't forget you're listening to WABC. I'm Joan Hamburg, and we have more to come. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And it seems like almost every holiday, we try to get the busy, busy Lydia Bestianich to come visit and share her family with us. And we've been sharing Lydia's family since her children were little. And she had a little restaurant in Queens, which that whole saga became an enormous story. And whenever I hear people talking about refugees and immigrants and how awful and close our borders, close our doors, build a wall, I think of families like mine, like Lydia's, like so many of you who came to a welcoming America and made their way. And Lydia has shared her family story over the years and made a difference to so many people. In fact, this year too, Lydia has been on television, public television, for 25 years. And it's incredible. She writes the best cookbooks. I still, in fact, I just opened it the other day because my producer reminded me that Lydia's A Pot of Pan and a Bowl, Simple Recipes, for Perfect Meals, a cookbook, was not that long ago, and I put my little hands on it and went to it for some incredible recipes. So, Lydia, every time there's like an occasion, like the marking of 25 years for television, does it bring back all those memories of how a struggling young family went to Queens and opened a restaurant? And your mother was taking care of this wonderful garden and people weren't used to eating that kind of from garden to table food at that time. Yes, Joan. Uh, it, uh, you know, the memories go up and down the, the scale of the years. It's 50. I, I opened my first restaurant in 1971. So it's 51 mm. year, uh, years that I've been uh, 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 in the food industry, in the restaurant industry. And yes, I came here as a young immigrant at 12 years old, uh, with just with my family. Uh, we were brought here by the Catholic Charities, and we were given an opportunity and a new life. You know, Joan, uh, my story is I was born in Italy, but the part of Italy that became communist Yugoslavia, all the way up in the northeast after the war, uh, you know, after a few years thereafter, the borders came down, and we were under communism. We had to escape back into Italy two years in a refugee camp in Trieste. And ultimately, we were given this great gift of a new life coming to America. And, Joan, you are so right. I can't tell, I can't express how welcoming, how happy, how great America was and still is for me. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting, too, because... I've watched your family grow up over the years. I met you when you were in Queens with the mm -hmm. restaurant. Everyone was in it. In fact, I still in my head can picture your son who was little sweeping the floor. I mean, everyone did something to well, help. You know, <laughs> yes. A, a young family uh, of immigrants, my mother, of course, it came with my mother. So there was my mother, my father, uh, my family, my media, and I had a brother. And the kids, you know, they grew up in this, and I'm grateful they did, uh, with 
grandma understanding, uh, you know, the effort uh, that she put in in taking her family, taking us, bringing us to freedom. And uh, they were very much involved in this European background, but they were born Americans. So because they were born here. So they have this both great cultures in them. And, you know, it's good to teach children uh, to, to be part of a family, to contribute, to work, to uh, sort of, you know, uh, that's what keeps a family together. And Lydia, I remember at one point you thought you did too good a job because you were so excited when your son went to business school and you thought, okay, a different life, an easier life, but that didn't last long because he missed the restaurant. So there you were, you know, he's got an MBA, he's a star already on Wall Street, and that was it. Bye-bye, Wall Street. Welcome to the standing-on-your-feet-all-day restaurant world. Absolutely. And, you know, him and now my daughter uh, run the, the, the business, the restaurant. But, you know, when they were small, of course, you know, Grandma would come to the restaurant. We would make gnocchi. We would make pasta. And then she would take them home to go to sleep while I worked the, the dinner shift, shall we say. So they were used to getting in the restaurant being there. But I always told them, he said, you know, you have a great opportunity here. You're in America. You need to get educated, and you need to get an American job. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but I wanted education for them and this great opportunity. And so they did. My son, you just said about business. You know, my daughter ended up with a Ph.D. from Oxford in Renaissance art history. And what do they do now? They run the restaurant business and the food line, uh, the sauce line. My daughter helps me with my book. She she uh, produces my show with me. So it's it's a great continuum uh, of of a passion where we all started, and now they carry it on. And you became leaders in in the crazy world of restaurants and food, because even when you started Italy. And all of these different adventures. And I still remember when a little restaurant in Queens got a New York Times review. And people were like, what? We've got to go to that restaurant. And, you know, that's the dream of people who open restaurants and food businesses, to get that kind of attention. But you were not connected at that point, And that world found you. Yes, you know, your your world's, let's say, you know, world, uh, the world of, of foodies, of people that uh, wanted to explore the ethnic foods uh, that, that we had in New York, in America, and ultimately shared it with their listeners and viewers. So, yeah, it's that, that kind of exposure that I got for what we were doing that really sort of propelled me into into and and New York and and the, the uh, our partnership with Italy and the winery and the books it's it's uh, and the sauces of course it's it's opportunities that come along you know I think when you do something with passion when you give it all you got when you really uh, are committed to something people realize and you know I love what I do I love uh, sharing my Italian culture with my American culture. I have two of the greatest cultures in this world. Right. And you also took chances. You knew you'd have to work like crazy, but when you opened Lydia, that was a huge chance and a huge step. 
and a tremendous investment. And you guys were not born to the manor. You had to work for everything you had. Absolutely. You know, uh, we were in Queens for 10 years. We had two restaurants by then. We grew nicely. And then sort of, you know, uh, we wanted to go to Manhattan, where the big boys played. And uh, uh, we opened in 81 to Lydia. Uh, and that's where we almost didn't make it because it's just the uh, the unexpected expenditures of opening a new restaurant. But we opened it. We made it great. And, uh, of course, now what we have, we still have, after that, we opened Beckel on West 46th Street. That's still going very strong. And then, of course, uh, the kids also have the Babo, the Lupa, and the and the. Uh, 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 Babo, Lupa, and uh, Tatoria. Oh, you know what we got involved? Uh, uh, I have to share with you. We got involved in, we. Uh, they got involved, the kids. I always say me, but, you know, I sort of, I'm in the background, you know, helping them, but they're doing no, they it. Are. We just opening, opened Lantico Vinaya, which is a sandwich shop. This sandwich shop in Florence has lines around the, the, mm. the, the whole block. And uh, they partnered with the people from Lantico Vinayo, and we just opened a great sandwich place on uh, 8th Avenue and 45th and 46th Street and one on Sullivan Street. So this You're is kidding. how, yes, the kids are growing into their own kind of uh, idea and realm of food. And we love sandwiches. And that's a great American tradition. What kind of sandwiches, Italian they, or a mixture? No, of, of course. Italian, it's uh, it's all based on a focaccia. So you get a slab. I swear to God, you get almost like a foot by a foot slab of focaccia, and in it is all this ten different kinds of sandwiches. So it's prosciutto, provolone, different cheeses. But what's unique about this? This they make a special. You know, Americans like their mayo, their sauces. Well. Uh, they make a sauce with all the herbs, a basil sauce with fontina cheese. They make a gorgonzola sauce. They make a pistachio sauce to go with the mortadella. So it's this this focaccia is slathered with the sauce and then piled with slices. They slice it right there, right on top. And the focaccia is built on the premises and is still warm when the sandwich is made. Sounds good to me. You're all making right, you have to. <laughs> You have to go pass by. Tell me when you're going. Absolutely. We'll come and check it out. We all love sandwiches, and those sandwiches sound spectacular. So you're still very involved, though. As you say, the kids are bringing in a lot of their ideas, but you're still very involved in the restaurants, in the food business, in product, in all the different things. Absolutely. You know, we just developed two new sauces for uh, Lydia's sauces. Uh, you know, our sauces are all organic, natural, kosher, uh, uh, GMO-free. Uh, and so so the new sauces we did, uh, because people love their onions and their garlic. So we did a marinara with uh, roasted onion, which is delicious. And then uh, a tomato sauce with roasted garlic you know everybody loves one and when you roast a garlic or or the onions it sort of loses its pungency but it brings all that complexity and flavor to the sauce mm, it sounds good now are you doing your usual family thanksgiving is it at your house your sons it's, your daughters <laughs> everybody it's at my house so far we're to 22 
so let's see if anybody else, you know, kind of uh, uh, dropped by. It's one of those things at my house. What can I tell you? You know, this. Oh, can I bring my friend? Oh, he doesn't have where to go. Can can I bring him? And so on. It multiplies. So we are at twenty-two now. And you're just starting. You still have another <laughs> week to do it. And yes. does everyone cook, or is it Olivia? Well, you know, I, I the kids are getting big. So my granddaughter on Joe's side is making a kale salad. She's into vegetables. Of course. Green. And then also my other granddaughter is kind of a vegetarian. She makes delicious chocolate brownies. And then my in-laws, one of the in-laws is bringing a carrot cake. My sister-in-law is making the pumpkin pie. Dina, my, my daughter-in-law, it, she always every year makes the chutney, the cranberry chutney. She makes it delicious with, with the uh, orange in there. And my daughter is making the stuffing. And of course she has to make a regular stuffing and a vegetarian stuffing. So I'm getting some help here. That sounds good. And is it turkey or is it more Italian you know what I have? food? I'll tell you. I'll tell you the whole menu. So, uh, of course, I always do this, this spread of antipasto, and that kind of facilitates. And it's good for all of your listening who are there to do just just this. You make a spread, the antipasto. So the first course, you don't have to worry. You put, So, uh, of course, cold cuts, mozzarella, roasted vegetables. I put salads on there. I make a crostata. I'm going to make a Swiss chart crostata. I have some some smoked salmon, everybody likes an octopus and potato salad, and this is all a spread. So everybody goes around, takes a little plate, has a, a bottle, uh, a glass of wine or whatever, and uh, on, on to the table is next. The next, what I have, I, I ordered a nice capon, a fresh capon. We always make a capon soup for the holidays with the tortellini. The tortellini are already made. And so I'm going to make this big pot of capon soup, and that's seated down. Everybody has the, uh, uh, the the plate of or their capon soup or as much as they like. And the next is the main course. So I do have I have turkey, and I have ham also. And then I'm going to make a lasagna too. I have the bolognese wow. already made. And then, of course, lots of vegetables, roasted root vegetables, uh, the, the squashes, the, the parsnips, the Jerusalem artichokes, and then, of course, greens, Swiss chard, and uh, uh, the, 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 the green uh, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. And this is all kind of family style on the table. So it's a buffet. It, no, no. It's, everybody sits down, but I put platters. Nice. So okay. that, you know, and I make sure that I put enough platters, you know, to, because I'm going to have two tables of 12 or whatever. So I need two platters of turkey on each table. I need two platters of each vegetable on each plate. So there's a lot of platters going on, but at least everybody can just pass it around within their corner of the table. It sounds delicious. And do you do leftovers or when the meal's over, it's over? Oh, no, no. I have a two o'clock. So we all eat this, that. Before they leave, everybody gets a little second and gets something to take home. But, uh, you know, the next day is a big day because I have uh, some of the some of the relatives that had, you know, in-laws to go to. They're going to come over and we're going to reheat or redo or redo some soup, reheat some turkey, and we're going to re- eat what's left over, literally. Wow. It sounds very good. Do you find, yeah. Lydia, after all these years, you're still working as hard? 
You know, uh, maybe I, I watch a little bit because, you know, the years go for all of us and uh, my knees are always a little bit of a problem. Uh, but uh, I take more rests in between. Uh, you know, I make plans uh, that I take. I love to travel, of course, and I love to travel with the kids. But uh, uh, I go visit uh, my, my kids now because one is in Washington. Uh, uh, Tanya's daughter is at Georgetown. The other one is at BC, Boston College. Uh, my my other grandson is at Stanford. And so I go and visit them, you know, and I was just down in Washington two weeks ago and cooked with the the friends, the sort of the floor the, the, the of the friends of uh, Julia, which is this, my youngest granddaughter, and we cooked. We cooked in their little kitchen. I had the girls mm. buy all the products. They cleaned it, and we cooked. So I, I go, I do things that uh, maybe I didn't do, I couldn't do uh, while I was working because I was so busy. Now I insert them in, and uh, I work, yes, but I have breaks in between. I, I take those breaks. And, and seeing the next generation grow up in that same tradition, how is Italy doing? Italy is doing very well. Uh, you know, we not not too long ago uh, we opened in uh, in uh, Silicon Valley in San Jose, so that's not too far where my uh, uh, grandson Lorenzo is. Uh, and I go and visit, and that's one of the things that also I enjoy doing. I enjoy you know going around, and I kind of combine. I go into the Italy. They have a cooking school. I give a class. I talk about, uh, you know, my products, how to use the sauces, the, the wines that I would pair, and I sign books. And, uh, you know, this is a way of me kind of uh, promoting a little bit, getting a little excitement into the different Italy's. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to be going to L.A. Uh, in two weeks. So so uh, Italy and L.A., so it's, uh, they're, doing, they're doing very well and expanding, actually. That's great. That's great. So you're still having a fabulous time and business is still booming as it should be. Well, you know, now after, you know, the, what can I tell you? COVID was what it was, you know, it certainly shattered the whole uh, restaurant industry. That's coming back. You know, it's, uh, 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 that's uh, where kind of we made the switch over. Uh, I've been 51 years in the business. I said to my kids, okay, guys, uh, uh, you take over, what do you want to do? And so they're deciding which way to go and which restaurants to continue. You know, we have a restaurant in Kansas City. We are partners with Nancy Silverton, also in La Mozza in L.A. That's expanding. So they are they are doing uh, that. But the, the, the industry, the restaurant industry is coming back. Certainly the product industry, you know, the sauces have been doing phenomenally well. Mm. Also during during covid People cooked at home yeah. a lot. So the book, the book and the sauces and the wines, the Bastianich wines, uh, uh, people were drinking more. I'm sure you, you, you heard that during COVID. And so they were cooking more. So that did well then. So now sort of, uh, Joan, everything I think is getting back. People are looking forward to getting together, to sharing at the table. And, you know, Joan, what the, the comments that I get a lot is specifically about gathering gathering together at the table the conviviality that being at the table together uh eating maybe make maybe covid that's one thing that covid maybe uh almost that's forced good. us to do 
to sit at the table, cook, and eat together. And people really like it. It's a way of connecting beyond our little uh, iPhone. Without question. And I love the questions you answer uh, for your audience on your television show and how we all loved you sharing your mother and uh, her recipes, her singing, and you still share her and her memories on everything you do. You know, she she was so important. I know, you know, what family means to you because I've known your family also for all these years. And uh, she, we were, we lived together. You know, she helped me raise my kids and then with my grandkids. And she was such a, such a support, such a, uh, uh, for me, she was really my steadfast point. And, uh, you know, she passed, she reached 100. You know, she was 100 in January, passed in February. It's going to be now two years. And for me, she's always part of who I am, what I did. And in the shows now, you know, 25 years, people loved her. She connected with them. She was, I think, everybody's grandma out there. And so, you know, for me, uh, I, I, we put her at the end of the show, all the clips that we have of her, of what she did, she sang and whatever. And this is to honor her in her memory and to share because people out there really love it and they love still seeing her. She's still with us. I know. I, en- I can't tell you how much I enjoy that and uh, her joy in the food and the recipes and in her family. It's a gift that you give to all of us. Thank you, Lydia, my dear. Love to all the kids and have a special holiday. We'll talk soon. The same to you, to your family. Enjoy yourself. It wouldn't be Thanksgiving without reaching out to you, uh, Joan. So happy Thanksgiving. And to all. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. And that was the one and only Lydia Bastianich sharing her family and her life with all of us. More ahead. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone. And for me, a special treat, Michael Feinstein, whom I haven't talked to in a long time, but probably one of our best-known pianists, singers, musical historian. In fact, I really think I was trying to remember, but it was Michael that introduced me to the Great American Songbook. And Michael is probably one of the leading figures in this country when it comes to the songbook, to music, to American theater. He's been nominated for Grammy so many times. He's a platinum-selling artist. He is, and I have to make sure I'm getting that right. Michael, now you're artistic director for the Center for Performing Arts in Carmel, Indiana. Yes, that's where we have our Great American Songbook Foundation, which uh, introduces high school and young people to the classic American song. So tell me, how did everything land in Carmel, Indiana? Well, first of all, forgive me. The pronunciation there is Carmel, unlike Carmel by the sea in California. (laughs) Right, or Carmel that you eat. Right. (laughs) Well, it uh, landed there because the city of Carmel, Indiana, is um, 
Uh, it's a model city. It was named by Money Magazine as one of the top best, most livable cities in the country because of the combination of uh, education, of culture, building a new performing arts center, and corporations moving there. It's contiguous to Indianapolis, and they made me an offer that I couldn't refuse to bring this uh, foundation to preserve American popular song there because they supplied partially staff and funding and we're building a museum and also the location is in the heart of america it's two hours from chicago and it's it's located in a place where uh, people are culturally hungry for it and so it all sort of was a i guess a perfect storm and so you're there what is it like maintaining a residence there well i'm nowhere full time you know because i know i'm touring all the time. So uh, I'm part-time there. I'm part-time in New York. I have a place in Central Park South and part-time in uh, Los Angeles because my mother is there, uh, 95, God bless. And, mm. uh, you know, so, uh, and then I'm on the road. I just was in Cincinnati and I'm going to Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, and I'm, I'm moving around. So, yeah, but uh, you've always moved around and your mother as you said, God bless her, 95 now. Um, your parents, they knew they had a talented son, and they gave you wings. They let you go and to go explore and do your thing when you were a kid. Yeah, that's so true, Joan, because when I graduated high school, all my friends were going to college, and, and my parents never said anything. And I went to my mom and said, aren't you going to ask me if I'm going to college? And she said, well, you didn't say anything about it, so we figured you didn't want to go. <laughs> and I went, oh. <laughs> and I started playing piano bars, and uh, it became my profession. One thing led to another. So that that is very unusual. But it was all unusual because you met the Gershwins. I remember you telling me this story. Um, I forget what year, maybe the 70s, 77, and... The widow of Oscar Levant introduced you to Ira Gershwin. Is that, do I remember that right? Or Yes, you even got the year right, so don't ever doubt your memory. <laughs> yeah. No, sir. Yeah, it's, yes, I met, uh, I moved to Los Angeles uh, late in 1976 when I was 20 years old, and I met June Levant, Oscar Levant's widow, and Oscar Levant being the the great Gershwin interpreter and the wit who said uh, funny things, you know, like he was in Doris Day's first movie. And later he said, mm. I knew Doris Day before she became a virgin. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and he said, Elizabeth Taylor, uh, when, when, when Elizabeth Taylor left Eddie Fisher to marry Richard Burton, Oscar said, how high could anyone stoop? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, June Levant introduced me to the Gershwins, Ira Gershwin, who wrote the lyrics to the songs. Ira was 80 years old, and uh, I ended up spending six years working for Mr. and Mrs. Gershwin, and it taught me uh, most of what I know about interpreting the songs that I now uh, perform all over the world. Yes, including you've done shows on Broadway, Michael Feinstein in concert, and uh, just extraordinary things. And it all started when you were just a kid, and it started working. Yes, yes. Uh, it's, it's fun to um, try and 
reinvent the songs and make them interesting for contemporary audiences because now we live in a time when most people were not alive uh, when these songs were at their peak popularity. And because of that, uh, now I'm introducing new generations to this music. And I find uh, a, sort of a divide, if you will, because some people absolutely connect with this music instantly. And there are other people who don't listen to words. When they listen to music, they'll listen to the beat or the production or the sound. And to to focus in on listening to lyrics is something that is, for some people, a lost art. And so I can always tell whether somebody's really uh, connecting or dialed in with the music as to how they how their physical and bodily response uh, uh reflects that and how do you find because you have an academy and competitions high school kids over the country are they very different from when you were a kid in high school what do you sense is their musical leaning these days we live in a time of course when there is no arts education in schools are very little. That's another reason I like Carmel, Indiana, because they have strong arts programs in their schools. But most most young people are not exposed to different kinds of music in school, if any. You know, they only hear the pop music on the radio. So they don't know classical music. They don't know jazz. They don't know other genres. Uh, they just don't know it. They've never been exposed to it. So with, with young people, <clears throat> excuse me, with young with the high school people who joined the, the Great American Songbook Foundation Academy, the annual academy, some of them have come to popular song through Broadway uh, or musical theater. Their parents introduced the musical theater. Or somebody in their family plays recordings of Ella Fitzgerald or Louis Armstrong. Some are interested in jazz. Uh, it comes from usually their, their family, their parents, or uh, community theater. Uh, but there are also young people who have discovered different kinds of music on the Internet because the wonderful thing about our world today is that you can find and learn anything, discover any kind of music on the Internet. And it, I, I'm a record collector. When I was a kid, I used to travel all over the place to try and find a rare uh, recording of uh, Bing Crosby from 1931, and I'd have to pay 40 bucks for it. Now you can go online and find it and download it and listen to it, and it's and it's there. I mean, the resources are extraordinary. And so there are some very intrepid young people that are consumed with this music, and they go out and find it, and they're very knowledgeable. So it's fascinating. You know, I always find it interesting. When I was a kid, going to theater was part of life. It wasn't that expensive. We would go every week, whatever was up and around. And I could sing from every Broadway show, I knew every lyric. And my kids are still amazed, like, how do you know that? I said, we all did that. But today, kids mm -hmm. have even heard of half these songs. Yeah, it's a different time. And young people consume music differently. And uh, so it's a, it's a whole different thing. It, 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 there's visual elements, and it's, and it's about beat, and it's about feeling. But young people absolutely listen to lyrics. I don't know how many uh, can recite a very uh, complex uh, rap or hip-hop piece, but, but the words are important. Uh, the words are, are not 
not to the same form. It's a completely different thing now. And um, I always tell people that the Great American Songbook is ever evolving because I don't believe that it's there's a, a, an end date or an end cap on it. I think that there are songs being written today that if they're collectively known in 25 years and sung and heard by millions of people, they'll become part of the the eternal songbook. But I hear contemporary music, and I couldn't tell you what, what is going to last because it's only time that Who determines knows? that. And my sensibility is different, but that, that it's, it, it's, it, it, change, it always happens with every generation. Every generation always says, well, our music was better, and, and this, is, this is awful, and, and then it sort of becomes assimilated, and, and, and life goes on. And what's happening when it comes to CDs and albums? Do you constantly keep up with that and do it yourself? Well, um, my my most recent release, uh, which is called Gershwin Country, that was on the country charts, actually, which was a great thrill. It's, it's duets with country singers, including Dolly Parton and Brad Paisley. But Gershwin Country was released on CD, on compact disc, and then, of course, all the download and streaming services also offer it. And so some people only know the recording, uh, Gershwin Country, through uh, Spotify or listening to it uh, online, and then other people still want to have the physical CD. My fans, uh, uh, it's a real mixture. Uh, but of course, when one listens online, they don't necessarily listen to the, the recording in a linear fashion as one would with a CD or an old LP. You know, it's programmed and it's meant to be heard in a sequence. But now people will listen out of sequence or pick a favorite track or create their own playlist. So that's all different. So the the unifying factor of of one album with with liner notes and with the visuals and the photos, all that, that's all changed for, for most people. And what about, Michael, I know you're on tour a lot. Has that changed over the years? It's changed in the sense that when I first started, I only played solo. You know, I, I mean, I'd play the piano for myself and I'd sing. And now I do a lot of symphony concerts. I do... Uh, tr concerts work with a jazz trio. I work with Ted Firth, the amazing pianist who uh, is often my musical director. I'll do big band shows. I do different kinds of shows. Some shows, I, the, I've been doing a Judy Garland show called Get Happy in celebration of a centennial, and that's multimedia, where I have home movies supplied by the Garland family, by Liza and Lauren and mm -hmm. Joe. Garland's children. So there's home movies and there's, there's inter it's sort of interactive. So uh, I do different kinds of shows. Uh, but the other day I did a show at Carnegie Hall and it was just with a, a, a band and no, no bells and whistles, just singing the songs. And, and uh, um, it was a great evening because it was very relaxed and uh, a lot of fun. And of all the things you do and are still doing, What's top of the Feinstein list? I want to write more songs. I've been writing more lately, and uh, my my ambition is to someday produce a recording that is completely original material. Um, I have, I've started to put a, a few of my own songs into my concerts beside the, uh, the standards. Uh, I'll be playing the Carlisle Hotel uh, December for three weeks through New Year's Eve and doing holiday music, or as my grandmother would call it, holiday music. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I, I hope to include a couple of original things, too. So that's the fun for me, to uh, 
to uh, add to the, the repertoire. And where is home? If someone said, pick the place that says, hello, welcome home, what would that be? Mm. I'm a resident of, of Carmel, Indiana. I'm a resident of Indiana. Uh, but because my mother is in California and um, I've spent so many years there, as much as Indiana is home, California is also home. Mm -hmm. And your mom must take such pleasure in seeing your enormous success over the years. She is a, a, a proud Jewish mother, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was smart. She didn't push her boy to become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. She let you follow your heart. Yes, and it, I didn't realize till later how unusual that is. And uh, it's true. It's true. They recognized, my parents recognized that I had a passion for music. And if it weren't for music, I, I wouldn't be happy in my soul. I mean, I uh, chemically, I had a, uh, 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 a DNA test where they measure different things in the body. And I, I lack, among other things, dopamine. I lack pleasure receptors. And my doctor said, he doesn't know how it's possible that I'm not a drug addict or an alcoholic because I don't have natural um, dopamine. Highs, yeah. I, I don't have it. But the mu but the reason that I'm happy is because of the music. That's what makes me happy. And always from the time you were a young guy. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's my drug. Well, what a good drug to have, and how fortuitous that people recognize the talent early on. And instead of saying, oh, he's another kid who plays the piano and who sings, they nurtured it and gave a gift, not only to you, but to all the rest of us. Oh, thank you. You know, Michael, I remember the early years when we were doing our show from Sardis with the great Arlene Francis. Mm. And on that crummy Sardis piano, which is older than I am, you would create magic. Do you remember that? Everyone would say, you can't ask him to play that piano. And I said, well, I have to ask him. It's the only piano they have. And what came out of that piano shocked even the piano. It was like, wow, how'd that happen? Well, that was a fun time. It was a thrill, you know, to come to the Sardis. And eventually they they put my caricature on the wall. And that's, you know, thanks to to you and Arlene for having me there so often that they, I became familiar with them. So, I know. It was, it's interesting, it isn't it? Um, when you think about the things that you care about, you know, you would never have thought that was such a deal, but it's such a deal. Yeah, and, true. And it makes such a difference. Do you think Broadway thoughts these days? Um, occasionally. Uh, yeah, I toy with the idea of it, but you know, the world right now everything is um, is in transition, and arts are in transition as audiences are changing, and there's more streaming and all that. And I'm trying to think of something that I would want to do on Broadway that would be the live experience. You know, that 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 is that is most uh, appropriate for that uh, venue. And I'm thinking about. 
uh, a show uh, about my relationship with Ira Gershwin, kind of like my own Tuesdays with Maury, because that's the kind of effect he had on me. I would love that. I think everyone would love that. And they were such times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I caught the tail end of of meeting all of my musical heroes, or the ones who were still alive. So I met Ira, and through Ira, I met uh, Leonard Bernstein and Burton Lane and, and Harold Arlen and Harry Warren and Andre Castellanitz, and their dear friend was Lauren Bacall and Comden and Green. And I mean, it was it was amazing to meet these all of these people, and now I try to carry forward their songs the way that they wanted them interpreted. And, and so... Uh, it, it all happened because as a 20-year-old, I cared about what came before me. And even though there was a 60-year age difference between Ira and myself, we literally spoke the same language, the same musical language. So mm. that that's interesting, I think. And were, it would not only be interesting, it would make for great theater because each and every one of those people has a story that's unbelievable and an impact on you. Were they all good to you? Yes, yes. Uh, um, the only person who was prickly, and, it, and it's not, and it's not me personally. It was with everybody. Was was Stephen Sondheim, you know, who could be absolutely wonderful, and and you know, the, the letters and the kindness he showed to so many people was incredible. Uh, but he also was was an alcoholic, and sometimes he could get very mean. And and um, uh, I was the victim of his wrath on a couple of occasions. And other times he, he was the kindest man on the planet. Uh, but that was because of his his uh, his addictions. You know? Yeah, it didn't affect his his genius. <laughs> no, and he <laughs> still he was... produced. A lot of people didn't realize that he had this drinking issue. You yeah, know. and that and and there were other other things too. I hear, but but. You know that's uh, that he obviously had to drink to to deal with his own Devils. whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, well, and his best one of his best friends was George Firth, who was rapidly um, AA. George was in AA for generations and, de- and tried to get Steve to go to to AA, and uh, and he took him to an AA meeting, and and George said that Steve was very very emotional hearing people tell all these stories and when they left he said well what do you think and Steve said this is one of the most moving experiences I've ever had and I really understand why AA works and George said would you come to another meeting with me and Steve said no I will never get near that place again (laughs) (laughs) that's a funny story oh and he never gave up his little pastime no no when he was coming to my house for dinner my my secretary called him and said, uh, what would you like for dinner? And he said, vodka, vodka, and more vodka. That was his, <laughs> his, his verbatim response. Yeah. What an easy guess, right? <laughs> yeah. All you need is a glass. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I remember when you, it was years ago, you called to say you were going to get married and that Judge Judy was um, going to do the ceremony. Yes, she was the officiant. She she uh, went so far as to get um, I forget the term legal uh, 
uh, vestment to be able to uh, sign <laughs> the the marriage license, and and it was a, a dual ceremony. It was Judge Judy. I mean, a dual a dual officiant. The other officiant was a Reverend Gabriel Ferrer, who is the son of Rosemary Clooney and Jose Ferrer. So uh, uh, it was a, a, a very special day. Right, and you were very close to Rosemary Clooney, as I remember. Yes, I saw her daughter Maria uh, yesterday, and uh, I think of Rosemary every day of my life. I loved her. We did many, many shows together, and she, her voice just went deep into my heart from the first time I heard it as a kid, and, and I always felt so amazed that she had become a friend of mine. Mm. And I'm telling you, Michael, you have such great material that you could really do a fantastic show. The problem is the time it takes with all you with all your work and concerts and I don't know how you could do it, fit it in, but you could do it and should. I want to do it. And you're right. It is an issue about time and figuring out priorities and a friend of mine who recently uh, passed away, uh, he was uh, around 90 years old. Uh, uh, he used to use the phrase QTR, quality time remaining. So I always think mm. about QTR. I like that. And somewhere you're going to find it because every story, every person who left a footprint in your life has something amazing to say through you and through your music. So I'm looking I'm, forward to it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care, Michael. I miss you and come visit whenever you're around. I, I love you and I'm grateful that we're friends and thank you for, for this time. Michael Feinstein. And Michael's got an album which is, you know, not bringing but it's always new when Michael does it. So look for it. And I'm looking forward to another conversation with this great musical genius. Stay tuned, everyone. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. This time of year, we get a lot of requests about what to do in the city, where to go, what to see. And I had a little adventure. That was a surprise that I really enjoyed. You will too. It was at Barney's. And a friend had said to me, something is happening at Barney's. I said, no, Barney's is closed. So I was in the neighborhood and I walked over to a fifth and 60th Street, and I go in Barney's, is all colors, and it certainly didn't look closed. People were coming in and out, and they had a Louis Vuitton traveling show called 200 Trunks, 200 Visionaries, right now at the former Barney's, 660 Madison Avenue, and this show is going to be up through December 31st. Monday through Sunday, 10 to 8, and it's free. But they do say you should try to call or get a reservation. It's a great exhibit. And you walk through, you see all these incredible things, 
they had artists take a, a piece of luggage, a trunk, a box, and create an original piece of art in conjunction with it. And it was quite fabulous and wonderful to enjoy. And then the restaurant upstairs, Fred's, now Fred's with a little X and Louie, L-U-I-S, has revived Barney's Restaurant for a limited time, offering classics such as Estelle, the chef's mother, chicken soup, Fred's chopped chicken salad or shrimp salad, just delicious and fun. So let me give you a number you can call or an email or some way where you can get a reservation for the exhibit and for the restaurant or one or the other. And it's L-O-U-I-S 200 NYC reservations dot com. 